0: Roller off and running Friday, Friday at 1045, well, 1048, three minutes late. The Krug Show back with you on a Friday, Chase Senior in the house. Uh, we're going to talk Super Bowl. Of course, we're brought to you by Pig and a Pickle, the best barbecue in all of Northern California. Check them out in Emeryville and and Madera. They're open seven days a week from 11 a.m. till 8 p.m. Also brought to you by uh, Marin Autoglass, 415-883-3030, marinautoglass.com as well as Underdog Fantasy. Check the link in the description. Use the promo code KRUG, K-R-U-E-G, and they'll match you up to your first $100. Chase Sr. in the house on a Friday. Chase, what's up, man? How are you? It's a beautiful Friday. Always love coming on the KRUG show
1: for this weekly spot, and For the season to play out the way that it's played out, where I kind of join you at the midway point of the season, and then we've had this playoff run, now this Super Bowl run. We're both going to Las Vegas. We're finally going to be able to meet. I imagine we're both going to make appearances on each other's show. It's awesome. Glad to have the audience here as well. And I'm just so excited for this matchup, rematch of Super Bowl 54, San Francisco, Kansas City, so many great storylines. And as a football fan, as a football aficionado, this is what you dream about, man.
0: Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Um, I've so much enjoyed the Niners uh, Super Bowl in New Orleans when they played the Ravens. Seem, seemingly a long time ago now. Yeah. Um, and I can't imagine how good this one's going to be in Las Vegas. Uh, the first Super Bowl ever in Las Vegas. I, I, I'm excited for, for that and all the different things that will be I've got going on that week. And it's going to be fun. Um. All right. So I saw you jumped in on my Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Which one was it? It was like, I was doing a heat check. Right. On uh, and, uh... Yeah, it was a
1: Krug flex is Um, what people my age would say. You were spot on in your analysis of Brock Purdy. And I think that I was in lockstep with you every step of the way. I thought that in the preseason, Purdy was going to make the 53-man roster. I had said in the lead up to 53-man roster cutdown day, San Francisco has to have Brock Purdy on the 53 because he's too good at an important position where if they do cut him expecting that he's going to be able to come back to the practice squad, I guarantee you another team's going to scoop him up. Timing, anticipation, processing, accuracy, moxie. I saw it from the jump. You saw it from the jump. And Kyle Shanahan saw it from the get-go. So I think that when you have a victory like that, it's important to let the people know on X. So I had to pop in there, maybe give you some engagement and say, that's
0: a Krug flex. Krug knows ball. I was flexing there for sure. Um, okay. So this wouldn't be what it is without there being some, some subplots. I mean, the Niners, there's never a dull, dull, dull time in Ninerland. I actually retweeted your video version of chase young's Cadillac in the NFC championship game. And then I, I asked Kyle about it yesterday. I asked Warner about it yesterday. I asked Bosa about it. Now I didn't, I didn't necessarily in any of those situations say Chase Young was dogging. What did you think? It wasn't yeah. quite like that because I'm not trying to, th- I mean, I'm, I'm rooting hard for the Niners to get this done. I don't want to see this turn into some big soap opera, but the, the video is so overwhelming and so ridiculous that a player would play at that speed in a, in a game of that magnitude that it had to be a topic. Right. What, what do you think? I mean, now that, you know, you I asked Shanahan, Shanahan didn't run from it, man. He, I thought there was a chance he'd be like, oh no, that's not what you saw. But he was like, yeah, you know, we, uh, I think he said guys weren't going on the backside is how, and which sounds so benign compared to what you could say. But, you know, he doesn't want to see his whole locker room blow up either over this, but at the same time, he doesn't want to ignore that, uh, it's unacceptable. So. What's your read on what we saw there from Chase Young? Is that a Chase Young issue? Is it, is it more than Chase Young? Because Shanahan made it seem like it was others. Kevin Givens didn't seem like he was going super hard on that play. It's almost like everybody thought somebody else was going to make the play, which is you know, kind of not the right mentality. I'll get a chance to talk to Wilkes today. What did, what did you think when you saw Chase Young on that low light, if you will?
1: Disgusting effort,
0: an awful effort, and this is why
1: a lot of Niner fans are frustrated, and I didn't really realize that it was going to take off as a subject matter as much as it has this week. When I was live for the watch party watching the game, and then I saw the replay, I'm looking at Jameer Gibbs run to the outside, and it's not just Chase Young who's failing in the pursuit and not giving 100% to get to the ball carrier. Everybody was kind of lollygagging around a little bit, but... With Chase Young, you see him clearly not making an effort, not going full go, and he's just trotting to the football, waiting for somebody else to make a play. And then when he is in the vicinity of Jameer Gibbs, when you're already down 14-7 in the NFC Championship game, he makes absolutely no effort to try to tackle. Jimmy or Gibbs. And he just walks in for the touchdown. And I think when you go back and you listen to the call from Kevin Burkhart, I thought him and Greg Olson did a great job on the broadcast in that game, piggybacking off of how they performed in the Super Bowl for Chiefs Eagles last year. I think Kevin Burkhart was also surprised. He's like, and Gibbs is in. And I just couldn't believe that you could put that lack of effort on tape in an NFC championship game when you're down. Momentum is with Detroit. You have a great opportunity on the plate for you to punch your ticket to the Super Bowl. And then for Chase Young individually here, I'm a fan of the player. He's really good when he's engaged, but there is a track record here of him having effort issues when he got traded from Washington to San Francisco. All the buzz from players and his teammates. We're not talking about anonymous NFL executives here. This is coming from his teammates that the word was out that at points Chase Young would take some time off. And I don't want to hear about the knee injury that he suffered a couple of years ago. He's back to being 100% because he can take over games, and we've seen that in short stints with the Commanders and with San Francisco. But when you have the draft pedigree that you have, number two pick in 2020, you win Rookie of the Year on the defensive side of the football. You're an insane athlete at 6'5", 264 pounds, where you just look like a unique physical specimen. You have this ability and potential that's insane. You're in a contract year. It's unacceptable. And then in the second half, to his credit, he made some really good plays against the run, but I thought it was pretty notable how Kyle Shanahan did address it. And it's not really fair to solely point out Chase Young in a press conference setting like that. Now, I talked about it on the show, and it blew up. The video got 75,000 views, and the comment section was on fire. Then I talked about it again yesterday, and the video did well. So Niner fans are very smart. They're very intelligent. They know. Kyle Shanahan knows upon watching the tape that that effort is not acceptable. And for Fred Warner to talk about it, they know it's an issue as well. And my last point here, that type of effort is not going to fly against Kansas City. Not only do you have to get to Patrick Mahomes, you have to get him on the ground. And you're going to have to be full go in your pursuit of him. And if you try to have that type of effort against a player like Isaiah Pacheco, he's going to run through you. He's going to run you over. That's what allows the Chiefs to move the chains. Patrick Mahomes stays on the field. And then your great offense stays on the sideline. So that can't happen in the Super Bowl. And if it does a massive problem. And for young, you have an opportunity here to get this massive check in free agency. And for me, if I'm looking at the full body of work, two and a half sacks in nine games with San Francisco with six quarterback hits a tackle for a loss, a pass breakup, 10 solo tackles compared to five sacks in seven games with the commanders on a lesser team. If I'm the Niners and I want to bring Chase Young back, I'm only giving him like a one-year, fifteen million dollar deal. He's got to prove it to me that he can be a long-term option, and that effort doesn't fly with me.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, I've seen enough already to just say no, I'm not bringing him back next year. Yeah. But I understand if uh, if they do at a at a reasonable dollar figure. I tweeted out my question and answer yesterday, um, you know, to Shanahan about this. And you're right. I mean, it get, these things are getting lots of traction. I mean, I got 127,000 views of this thing. Wow! What, what do you think? And then, by the way, yesterday at practice, Fred Warner, um, you know, he always talks to the players, you know, before they break and and get get into their practice. The discussion went a little bit longer. I saw Matt Barrows tweeted that out that 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 it was a little bit longer of a conversation. Um, between Fred Warner, who basically told us before practice, when we asked him about the run defensive issues, um, the Niners have given up 5.6 a carry in these two playoff games. And he said, you know, he was looking for his, you know, explanation. He said, not giving great effort as a group. Well, how does that figure? I mean, not giving great effort as a group. I mean, that's. That's a st- that's a stinging indictment of the 49er defense. Yep. What do you think, Chase, is going to be the impact of this? Is there going to be a negative impact in that guys are pointing fingers and this becomes a real subplot and gives the Chiefs tons of confidence? Is it going to be a rallying cry for the Niners and suddenly they're going to fire some big defensive effort? What do you think is the actual impact of us noticing these, the Cadillacing in the NFC title game, what's going to be the impact of that? Yeah, I think there's a human
1: nature at play here. And I think that this is sometimes the danger of getting that number one seed. You have home field advantage and you think that that path is going to be easy. And in the first half, Niners offense came out sluggish. The defense struggled. They got punched in the teeth by Green Bay and they had to narrowly escape with the victory. Thanks to Brock Purdy's heroics going six of seven. But the theme in that game, defensive adjustments in that second half by Steve Wilkes. And then in the NFC Championship game, once again, Niners come in feeling themselves a little bit, and they have to mount a 17-point comeback in that second half, and once again, make some second half adjustments. So I think the human nature kind of sets in a little bit and you're like, oh my gosh, we're set up pretty. The Cowboys, Eagles are out. Now our path is the seven-seeded Packers as well as the Detroit Lions team that hasn't won a road playoff game since the 1950s when they won in the NFC Championship game to make it to the NFL Championship way back in the day and they hadn't won their division or a playoff game since 1991. This is going to be easy. This is the NFL playoffs. Nothing is easy, and I thought that the Niners' rushed. showed. I thought the Niners' lack of effort showed because of that, and I think that if you're in that room for the Niners here, they have way too many leaders, way too many premier players, and the standard and the culture of the Niners is as such where let's show that effort to everybody and let everybody know this is not acceptable here. We are playing for the Super Bowl, and we understand that with the premium capital that we're paying a lot of players on this roster and the age of this team starting to get a little bit older and the prime years of these players and the window shortening just a little bit, they've made it to three NFC Championship games, four in the last five years, second Super Bowl appearance since 2019. That type of effort, can be literally the difference in you winning the Super Bowl, which is what we all want, and we've been busting our asses for since OTAs in the spring of last year and winning or losing the game. That can be the difference right there. And if you expect to be able to start the game slow against a Chiefs offense that has momentum, that has really gotten it together after a pretty Mundane season. They've been on fire in the playoffs. And then that defense that is playing well, if you start off slow and you go into an early hole against Kansas City, it's going to be really hard to come back like you did against Green Bay, like you did against the Lions. And the probability of three straight massive comebacks is very, very low. So I think for the Niners here, it is a little bit of a rallying cry. And it's a reality check that in order for us to win in Las Vegas on Sunday, And win the Super Bowl and bring back that six Lombardi trophy, which ties us with the Pittsburgh Steelers and New England Patriots. We have to play our best A game from minute one to minute 60. And that type of effort cannot happen.
0: Um, One thing that has to happen in this game if the Niners are going to win is they got to the D line's got to impact Patrick Mahomes and slow down Isaiah Pacheco. You, you're uniquely uh, qualified to, at, to answer this next question because you've been covering the Niners and the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Should Niner fans be disappointed in what they've gotten so far out of Javon Hargrave? Because Hargrave has zero sacks, zero tackles for loss, zero hits on the quarterback. He got $40 million guaranteed. The discussion the day that that, that signing happened was, Man, the combo of Bosa and Hargrave are gonna wreak havoc on quarterbacks. It hasn't not it really has not happened. Are you you've watched the Eagles with Hargrave, you've watched the Eagles without him, you've watched the Niners pre-Hargrave, now you've seen his impact. Are you disappointed in what he's contributed? There's a little bit of a trend here, and
1: I think that the sack numbers for all the marquee players on this Niners team are down. And with that, I point to, and I bring up this question, is it the scheme? Is the scheme a little bit different up front as compared to what D'Amico Ryans was running? And before that, what Robert Sala was running? Because Nick Bosa, two years ago, won Defensive Player of the Year, 18 and a half sacks. And this year, you know, he logs 10 sacks. And the sack numbers across the board for San Francisco are down. We just got done talking about Chase Young. His sack numbers down from Washington to San Francisco. And for Hargrave, he had 11 sacks last year. That was a career high for an Eagles team that had 70 as a team. The Baltimore Ravens led the NFL this year in sacks. They only had 60. So last year, Philadelphia really got after the quarterback in an historic way. It was the most sacks in a regular season for a team since the mid-80s when those great Chicago Bears teams were awesome on the defensive side of the football. His previous career high before that was 7.5. This year, he had 7 in 16 games. I think it's a little bit of a scheme problem, but I'll tell you what, Larry. Niners are going to have to get after the quarterback, and they're going to have to pressure and sack Patrick Mahomes in order to win this football game, and it's not just Hargrave here. This is a team-wide issue where the sack numbers have been a little bit surprising for the lack of sack production On this Niners team this year, when you're paying a guy four years, $84 million, you are expecting to get after the quarterback on a more consistent rate, but the Niners really haven't been able to do that all year long, and the guide to beating Patrick Mahomes is out there. And it came in Super Bowl 55 against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when the Buccaneers had an aggressive defense. Their defensive line won with four, but also Todd Bowles at the time, who was the defensive coordinator under Bruce Arians, dialed up a lot of blitzes. And the Chiefs that year were dealing with injuries to left guard, right guard. And this year, Joe Tooney has a potential torn pec. He's an all-pro left guard. He might not play in this game. And teams have rarely been able to execute this game plan against Patrick Mahomes, but it does work when you can actually execute it. Mahomes in Super Bowl 55 dropped back 56 times. He was pressured on 29 of those 56 dropbacks. That's the most for any quarterback in Super Bowl history. He was sacked three times and hit 10 times. That is really one of the biggest keys to this game is Bosa, Armstead, Hargrave, Chase Young coming to play and they have the talent to get after the quarterback. Steve Wilkes has to dial up some blitzes. I want to continue to see some more twists, stunts, and gains up front because we saw how the Niners were able to be effective against Jared Goff when they put him under pressure, when he was 3 of 13 under pressure for 26 yards, two sacks, and a rating of 39.6. You get after Patrick Mahomes, you can win this football game. If he has all day to drop back and chuck it, he's going to carve you up, and yeah, Hargrave's a part of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, Tampa, as you said, kind of provided the blueprint. I mean, they got three sacks on Mahomes, but they had 17 pressures and eight hits on Mahomes' 49 attempts in their 31-9 win. I mean, what do you think? I mean, what's if you're Wilkes, what's the game plan here? I mean, you, you try to get it done with four, but if you can't get it done with four, I mean, the big question I guess I would have is can the Niners stop pacheco was seven in the box or do they have to add an extra guy and play some man what what do you think the game plan for Wilkes is going to be what do you think's the successful game plan against mahomes i mean the niners have never beaten mahomes and um the chiefs o-line in the interior is really good i don't know if joe thune is going to play or not he's an all-pro player at left guard um they've allowed the second fewest sacks in the league this year uh in the interior what what's the plan that you think gets it done against Mahomes and company?
1: Yeah, and one more thing about Hargrave, and I talked about this when the Niners made the signing, he's a very good pass-rushing defensive tackle. He has never been good against the run. And so that's an issue, and we've seen it come to light all throughout this year when San Francisco's defense has struggled to bottle up the run game, and then in the playoffs as well when the Packers and Lions have had success on the ground. I think the formula for Steve Wilkes in this defense, you see if you can win with four. And then you mix up your coverages on the back end. You play a little man. You play a little zone. You dial up some blitzes from time to time. You run some of those twist gains and stunts up front to mix up the looks to try to... Confuse Patrick Mahomes so that he doesn't know what he's seeing. But then when you get to him, you have to make sure that you take him down onto the ground and you sack him because the pressure isn't going to do it. A quarterback hit isn't going to do it. He's so good at maneuvering inside the pocket, but then he's so strong on that lower half, fast and athletic with really strong legs, where even if you try to wrap him up, he stays on his feet. And he can throw to his right. He can throw to his left. And then lastly, he maintains his eye level up where if you get that pressure on him and he's running around, his receivers do such a good job on the downfield element of this, especially Travis Kelsey, where they kind of just freestyle a little bit and they get downfield and they try to find a little gap in the defense where there's some vacant grass and they go there and Mahomes is able to hit him and then he can run. football as well so he really does just pose so many threats and then he drops the arm angle down to multiple angles and I know a lot of Niner fans this week have said you can't play zone against Patrick Mahomes because he'll carve you up when you play zone well the Baltimore Ravens last week played a lot of zone and I thought that the defense for Baltimore played extraordinarily well they held Kansas City to 17 points I believe Kansas City didn't score a touchdown after halftime and to me It was the Ravens' offense that lost the game, not the Ravens' defense. So you can play zone, you can play man, you have to get ready for those extracurricular plays to happen once Mahomes is able to break contain. and if the Chiefs are able to establish the run, that's a massive problem, because if you try to stack the box, that's when the Chiefs will kind of spread you out, and then they're going to try to take the top off of the defense, and Mahomes is so good at throwing with touch and accuracy to all three levels of the field. Lastly, against the pass and against the run. We saw this against Green Bay. We saw this against Detroit. The Niners have done an awful job of setting the edge. And that's really allowed them to get exposed through the aerial attack and on the ground. So I think with Pacheco and against Patrick Mahomes, you you just have to set the edge and you can't allow Mahomes to break contain or Pacheco to get out to the perimeter. And then obviously tackling is going to be really important in all phases. And San Francisco has struggled with that all year long. So this is going to be a tall test for sure. Even though the chiefs wide receivers are probably the worst under the Mahomes era.
0: How would you rank the the running backs they've faced in the playoffs with Pacheco? I mean, you got Aaron Jones, who was hot. Then you got Jameer Gibbs and and David Montgomery, um, and then Isaiah Pacheco. I mean Pacheco's about 215 pounds. He's 215, 217 somewhere in there and he's got four three speed. he breaks yeah. tackles and he runs incredibly hard. But how would you rank those backs? I mean is this is in your is Pacheco the best back they faced or would you give that uh, designation to one of these other guys? They're all different backs.
1: Like Aaron Jones is a finesse and slightly physical back who offers you running in between the tackles, getting out to the edge, but also that pass-catching element. And Isaiah Pacheco doesn't really give you that pass-catching element. You look at a player like Jameer Gibbs, he's that dual-threat back who is really a three-down back, and he can also do a good job of catching the football gracefully out of the backfield on some of those third downs. And I thought that Ben Johnson throughout this year Lions offensive coordinator, as well as in the playoffs, he caught the defense off guard on a third and long where he would throw that quick little screen to Gibbs, get some blockers out in front. And he's so good with his vision, elusiveness, speed, and a little bit of physicality. The Niners struggled against David Montgomery, who runs really physical. And if you look at Isaiah Pacheco, he probably most compares to a player like David Montgomery, where he doesn't really offer the Chiefs That pass catching option out of the backfield, which Andy Reid has always loved to use going back to his days with Philadelphia and Brian Westbrook when Brian Westbrook was one of the first dual threat true running backs who could be that fantasy sensation through the air and on the ground. But Pacheco just runs so hard and compared to those other running backs that we talk about during this playoff run, he's probably the most brute physical runner who will run you over and pick up yards after contact and make it look really easy but then he does have that speed where he'll run it up the middle then he'll bounce it out to the edge he can use that stiff arm he can use that toughness and physicality to break some more tackles on the perimeter so he's such a good back as far as being able to stop and go being able to run you over but then have that speed to kind of take away from the defense a little bit. The one thing that he doesn't always offer Kansas City is that pass-catching ability, but he'll leak out of the backfield, and Mahomes will hit him with a little screen, and then tackling him in the open field, especially on -on one-on-ones, is a really, really difficult test.
0: Travis Kelsey has been almost like two different players this year. Um, When the Niners faced him in Super Bowl 54, they did a decent job. I mean, six catches, 43 yards. He did score a touchdown, but that was four years ago. And he's four years older. He's in the kind of the twilight of his career at this point. Um, he's had an amazing playoffs where he's just a force in the red zone. But then you looked at him this year in the regular season. This was the worst season of his career. He failed to reach a thousand yards receiving for the first time since 2015. He posted an average of 10.6 yards per catch. By far the career low for Kelsey. It was Kelsey just pacing himself, and and he just can't do it uh, as consistently in the regular season at this age, or was he battling injury? Because he has risen to the occasion in these playoffs. He's been awesome, and I think in the regular season, he was
1: dealing with a knee injury that I thought kind of lingered throughout the year. He didn't have the same speed, explosiveness, getaway ability. He also dropped a lot of passes. What's interesting here in doing some scouting against Kansas City for Patrick Mahomes He had the number one receiver target separation in the NFL among all quarterbacks, but the Chiefs had the most drops in the NFL, and Travis Kelsey was a part of that. I think that's due to him maybe not feeling his best. It's due to concentration. It's due to Kansas City pressing a little bit because their offense really struggled for the first time in this Reed Mahomes era. I thought it was noticeable that they had some disconnect on the offensive side of the football, but... Travis Kelsey has been a completely different player in the playoffs. He's been dominant against the Ravens. He had 11 targets, 11 catches and a big day. There was a touchdown where I thought he showed some speed getting to the edge, against the Buffalo Bills in the division around. He had another one of those plays in which he had speed getting to the edge and he got in for the touchdown. He's always run with a lot of physicality. It's very difficult to bring down. What he doesn't give Kansas City is what George Kittle gives San Francisco. And I think George Kittle is the best all around tight end in the NFL with being able to block and catch passes. But Kelsey, In the playoffs, here he's back to his prime time Kelsey self 27 targets, 23 catches, 262 yards, and three touchdowns. And if you look at his route tree against Baltimore, what's always made him so difficult to contain and cover is that Patrick Mahomes' ability to extend plays, and then Andy Reid giving him the freedom at the line of scrimmage to kind of choose where he wants to go. And then the innate feel that him and Mahomes have, as far as their connection, Travis Kelsey is what I call a freestyle route runner. There's not really a route that he's going to run specifically all the time. He's going to look at the defense and he's just going to freestyle a little bit. And then Mahomes does such a great job of identifying where 87 is going to be. And he can whip the football in there. The good thing for San Francisco is that they have two of the best off ball linebackers in the NFL in Fred Warner, as well as Dre Greenlaw. They're so good at covering the pass and covering tight ends, and just like 2019, they're going to have to do a good job of bottling him up. Fred Warner, overall PFF grade this year of 90.1, run defense grade of 90.7, and a coverage grade of 83.3, and Dre Greenlaw's actually really been able to turn it on this year in the playoffs. He's been so good as far as being a coverage linebacker. They're going to have their hands full with Travis Kelsey. And if you take him away, do you have trust that Rashi Rice is going to be able to burn you? We'll see if Sky Moore gets activated. I don't. And that's why that pass rush on top of, Locking down on Travis Kelsey is going to be so important in this game because this Chiefs offense can be had because they have the weakest weaponry that Mahomes has had arguably since coming to Kansas City.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's funny. You look at Kansas City and the way they've looked in the playoffs and you think, wow, uh, they're, they're the same old Chiefs. But they lead the NFL this year or led the NFL with 38 drop passes, three more than the second place team, the Browns. Um, their their wide receivers drop a ton of passes. Yep. Casey's offense was 14th in points scored at 21 a game, 11th in offensive efficiency, 13th in offensive EPA. Mahomes' seven yards per attempt was a career low. His 14 career his 14 interceptions this year was a career high, and his 27 touchdown passes is his lowest single season since 2019. And then you look at Kelsey; he's having the worst year of his career. Um, a lot of the problems with Kansas City come at the tackle spots. I asked Nick Bosa yesterday in the presser. I said, what stands out to you about Donovan Smith and, and Jawan Taylor? And Jawan Taylor, by the way, has 20 penalties, yeah. the most in the NFL. The second place finisher has 13. He's got seven more than the second place guy. And he's like, they hold a lot. Now, what do you think? I mean, how do you think this game's going to be officiated? The Niners feel like they got hosed in the game four years ago that Bosa was held in a lot of key situations and it went uncalled. It almost seems like they're intent on getting that narrative out there um, that these tackles can't stand up to Bosa and the Niner defensive ends. And the only way they can is if they hold.
1: This is classic. Phil Jackson would always do this back in the day with the Chicago Bulls or the Los Angeles Lakers, and you hear players in all types of sports try to put that narrative out there and put that sound out there and put that note out there, that thought that the other team is doing something that forces the officials to kind of stand back a little bit, assess, and take a look at how they're calling the game. This is what you call gamemanship, and I love it from Nick Bosa. You think back to that Super Bowl 54 Bosa got held time and time again. And Jed York talked about it yesterday in that interview with the media. Where, what do you remember about Super Bowl 54? I remember Nick Bosa getting held on that third and long. I think it's really important to really let that be known that that can't fly. Unfortunately, though, I do think that the whistle has always favored Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. Officials have always sided with them. Mahomes has always gotten calls. He's a crybaby who always clamors to get calls like a LeBron James which is really really annoying he's a really good flopper as well but if in the open field these holds are blatant and they're not being held it's going to be really unfortunate because that can dictate the game and that can change the game and I think it's important for Nick Bosa to say something like this not disrespectfully But it's the truth. And he just threw it out there to your question very, very subtly. But those little subtle messages are important to get across.
0: What about if we flip the card over to the Niners offense? What do you expect to see here from the 49ers offense? Do they have any advantages that you can see on paper?
1: Yeah, this Chiefs all, uh, defense is, is just awesome. Um, They've been really good all year. Steve Spagnuolo is a great defensive coordinator. I think Andy Reid is in a great spot because he knows he has one of the best defensive minds in football and he's not going anywhere. And he is going to continue to remain the defensive coordinator because he's a little bit too old and he's a defensive mind. He's not going to get a head coaching job, even though during the NFL head coaching carousel this offseason, we've seen a lot of defensive minds get hired, but of their younger variety. And when you look at Kansas City, They are number two in points per game given up at 16.8. San Francisco averages about 30. They're number four in opposing yards per game at 294 whereas San Francisco is putting up the most yards per game and offensively they're averaging 28.9 points per game yards per play San Francisco is at 6.5 that's number one in the NFL Kansas City's defense giving up 4.8 yards per play that's number five I will say this that while the Chiefs are second in the NFL in sacks They are one of the lower teams as far as forcing turnovers. So if San Francisco can play a clean game here, I do like their opportunity to win. And I think that Kyle Shanahan's creativity can exploit Kansas City's defense just a little bit with his ability to really get creative and spreading the football out to his array of weapons, running and throwing the football. And if San Francisco is able to have that dual headed approach and they can establish the run and they can throw the football and they can really dictate the pace and the flow of the game. I do think that they can go on these elongated drives to keep Patrick Mahomes on the sideline. And that's a formula for San Francisco to win this game. Give Patrick Mahomes as few opportunities as possible to really hurt you. And how do you do that? running the football, throwing the football, capitalizing on third downs. What I don't want to see, obviously, is the turnovers that we've seen at moments in the playoffs for San Francisco uh, and in the regular season when they've lost these games but you can't play behind the sticks against this Kansas City defense like the Niners oftentimes were doing in that first half because they will blitz you they will get after you and Steve Spagnola will throw the house at Brock Purdy. Purdy's been really good at dissecting defenses when they do blitz. He's been really good at throwing under pressure, but this Chiefs offense just or Chiefs defense, excuse me, just brings it in a different way where they're very multiple with their looks and we saw that against Lamar Jackson in Baltimore where the Ravens not only couldn't execute, turn the football over a lot, but they pressed because they weren't sure what they were seeing. And San Francisco can't fall into that trap.
0: How can the Niners handle Chris Jones? Because it's like Chris Jones is just, he's, when, he, when it's against the 49ers, he's like mean Joe Green, uh, Aaron Donald, Reggie White, all rolled into one. He's batting down passes, he's dominant against the run. He's whipping people inside as, as far as a pass rusher. Um, I know they utilize him sometimes outside, but, man, they lost Charles Amenehue, yep. and I think that is a major loss uh, because I just don't see the quality depth on that chief line. But, man, Jones by himself can ruin your day. What do you think the plan is against Jones? I would imagine Feliciano draws the assignment, but, man, he's gonna he's going to need help.
1: I think Chris Jones has been the best defensive
0: tackle in the NFL over the last three
1: to four years. I thought that a few years ago, he really started to make some headway on Aaron Donald. And I think it's been Chris Jones who's been the best defensive tackle in the game. He's so good against the run. He's so good at defensive tackle of getting to the quarterback. I think that innate ability to really have that anticipation to bat down balls at the line of scrimmage. Those are game-changing, game-altering plays because something can be open on the crosser or something can be open over the middle, and Chris Jones just ends it. And he can dominate double teams. He's going to win those one-on-one matchups. He has a plethora of moves that allows him to really beat you on some of those one-on-ones and against those double teams. Chris Jones is a menace. So it's going to be a tall task for Jake Brendel, Aaron Banks, John Feliciano, to try to limit him as much as possible because he literally defines what a game changer and a game wrecker is. And you threw out some names of some legendary NFL defenders. He really is a combination of all of them, quickness, speed, power, against the run, against the pass. He can do it all, and I think he's going to go down as one of the best defensive tackles of all time if he's already not in that category. You do mention Charles and here. This is a huge loss for Kansas City. We saw that since the Niners traded for him at the deadline in 2021 and that under-the-radar move with the Houston Texans, a clutch player who always came up, rose to the occasion in some of the biggest moments. He has versatility to his game where he can play edge. He can slide into defensive tackle and win those matchups against some of those slower and plotting guards this year for Kansas city after the suspension, He's still at a pass rush grade of 70.4, 17 hurries, five hits, 29 pressures, and seven sacks. And he had a strip sack of Lamar Jackson, which was a huge moment in that football game. And going back to the matchup against Chris Jones, this is going to be a big one for John Feliciano, who's ended up being one of the best value signings for San Francisco in recent memory. This Niners offensive line well-documented has been a weak link all year. Spencer Burford was awful. But for them to get John Feliciano on a one-year contract, $1.16 million in base, $3.2 million cap hit, for him to fill in at left guard when Aaron Banks went down, and then right guard because of the bad play and injuries to Spencer Burford, he's provided this team with 478 total snaps, 257 pass-blocking snaps, he's only given up two penalties, he's only given up two hits. 15 pressures overall pro football focus grade of 81.2 pass blocking grade of 66.5 but a run blocking grade of 87 and he's really brought life and quality play to this Niners offensive line when they've needed it the most. And if he continues to play like he's been playing, it'll really help San Francisco up front in trying to establish the run in running behind him, as well as in pass protection against a very aggressive Chiefs defensive line, which you're also going to have to worry about that second level and those corner blitzes because of how aggressive the Chiefs are.
0: You know, the one thing that that I look at that really does separate these teams, um, and I don't know how much credence you put on it, but the Niners' point differential this year was plus 193. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kansas City's was plus 77. Wow. Is that why the 49ers are whatever, a one and a half, two point favorite in this game? I mean, if, if the Chiefs have the better D and the Chiefs have Reed and Mahomes and the Niners are going into this thing with, you know, a head coach that people says gags and a, a quarterback that Cam Newton doesn't even think is top 10 in the league. Why are the Niners favored in this game? I was actually somewhat surprised at the opening line
1: favored with San Francisco minus one. And Larry, it's really remained consistent all throughout this week. And I don't know. Betting against Patrick Mahomes now, I didn't think that this was the Chiefs year. I didn't think they'd be representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. I picked Buffalo to beat them. I picked Baltimore to beat Kansas City. I thought Buffalo and Baltimore were the better teams. But it's almost like right now. In 2024, betting against Patrick Mahomes is kind of like betting against Tom Brady. You just don't do it because they are the demon slayer, and they will shock everybody. They're so good at dealing with adversity, dealing with challenges. I'm telling you, this Chiefs offense was hard to watch at times, and then they just flip a switch in the playoffs, and led by the creativity and the play calling and the play designs of Andy Reid and the elite level play from Patrick Mahomes they've been able to resurrect this offense and when you have a play caller and a coach like that who's so creative and innovative and then you have a quarterback and Patrick Mahomes who's so dangerous who can burn you with his legs and his arm it just elevates everybody on this roster I think what we've seen is just a great coaching performance and great coaching adjustments where it's so rare for a team to be able to flip that switch right in time for the playoffs and to find their groove. Not only have they done that, they're starting to feel themselves and they're really confident. Maybe the odds makers look at the point differential and they favor San Francisco. The Niners are also the much more talented team outside of the quarterback position where Mahomes certainly has the edge against Brock Purdy. But Mahomes as an underdog in his entire career, including the playoffs, is 9-3, and three, completing 69% of his passes. He's thrown nearly 300 yards per game, a touchdown to interception ratio of 36-10, to 10, and a passer rating of 113.7. I do like the Niners to win the Super Bowl because I think they're the better team. And I think that finally, they're not going to play just a solid half or a solid quarter of football like they did against the Lions and Green Bay. If they play a full 60 minute game and they don't shoot themselves in the foot, they are the more talented team. They can beat Patrick Mahomes for the first time going up against Mahomes in his career because they're over against him as of this moment, but they can't allow things to snowball. They can't have these self inflicted wounds. You can't allow Mahomes to extend plays and burn you. You got to get off the field on third downs you got to be able to tackle. You can't get gashed by the running game. All these things are important. San Francisco has struggled in some of these areas. They've been good in some of those areas. And if they bring their A game, they can win this game, and they can cover that one-point line.
0: You know, it's such an interesting game because I, I expect to see a lot of Isaiah Pacheco. Now, against Baltimore, when they got into the red zone, especially the lower red zone, man, they, they really ran behind the interior, right? Cause they've got Trey Smith at right guard, Creed Humphrey at center. Um, they, ha- they didn't have Thoney in this game, but Nick Allegretti, who's a great guy. He's a friend of mine. I, he went to Illinois and he was a wrestler at Illinois. He's a great guy. I've had him on the show before Nick, uh, played well. I mean, and he's been in that system for a while. Um, as the backup, uh, at, you know, along the interior. So they ran in the a gaps pretty much against Baltimore in the red zone, but the Niners weakness is, you know, maybe in both spots. I mean, can they, can, is Kansas city going to be able to run it at the point in the a gaps? And then the, the big question for the Niners thus far in the playoffs is they haven't dealt or defended the crack toss well yeah. at all. And their weakness is against the run outside the tackle box and what's happening is they're allowing, because uh, the Niner defensive tackles are not absorbing the interior offensive line, interior offensive linemen are climbing to that second level. They're picking off Warner. They're picking off Greenlaw. And then on the cutback, th- there's nobody there, No, and they're getting gashed. Do you think that they can solve all their problems against the run and do a decent stand-up job against Pacheco? Because on paper, it looks like Kansas City can run Inside and outside against them.
1: And that's what Green Bay was able to do. That's what Detroit was able to do. I mentioned a little bit earlier on this show that San Francisco has done such a bad job against the pass and against the run at really setting the edge as the opposition's been able to get out to the perimeter and really gash San Francisco. What's concerning to me is that the Niners up front against the run have just been manhandled physically. I've seen Javon Hargrave get pushed around. I've seen Eric Armstead get pushed around. This is going to have to be a game where not only Hargrave and Armstead come to play, but if you line up Bosa on the interior, you line up Chase Young on the interior, I'm not opposed to that. Javon Kinlaw is going to have to play a little bit better. There is perception versus reality with Javon Kinlaw. When the Niners drafted him, they thought he was going to be a defensive tackle who was a good pass rusher and good against the run. Well, in the regular season, his run defense grade was 31.3. In the playoffs, it is up to 60.3. So it really comes down to San Francisco's dogs, San Francisco's marquee players rising up. I think one of the correctable things is that the Niners have over-pursued a little bit. And when you over-pursue at defensive line, at linebacker, that's what's opened up some of these gaping holes. For Jair Brown in the first half to have to make so many tackles at that second and third level, that's concerning because that goes to show you that Detroit and the NFC championship game was wide open and the lanes were open like a highway. And the last line of defense was Jair Brown. That happens against Kansas City. They're going to establish that run. Then they're going to hit you at the pass and things are going to snowball and it becomes so difficult to defend. I did think it was pretty interesting how a couple of players said we looked at the tape. We saw that Jameer Gibbs was loose with the football. That's what caused us to over-pursue because we were attacking the football, trying to strip him instead of making the play. Can't happen against Kansas City because if you try to strip the football against Isaiah Pacheco, he's such a great physical runner at being able to break those arm tackles, and that's what allows the Chiefs offense to move the chains and stay on the field, and when they become a dual-headed monster, they're so difficult to stop. So really, you can't get out physical at the line of scrimmage like the Niners have been. You have to stop over-pursuing. Trey Greenlaw, Fred Warner got to play the gaps a little bit better than they did in the first half against Detroit. And you'll be able to solve some of those issues. I think it comes down also to just Steve Wilks making some adjustments with the scheme. And what's weird to me is that in the second half, they played so much better against the Packers, against the run and against the pass. And then in that second half... I thought it was like a confidence issue where San Francisco in that second half after recess, they were flying to the football. They were playing faster. They were playing more physical, and they really bottled up that run game against Detroit. It's going to take that same effort level, which we talked a little bit earlier, and the same discipline in order to stop this Chiefs running attack because they're going to try to run it in between the tackles because the jury and the word is out. Uh, Green Bay and Detroit have been able to do that.
0: Did you see that thing last year? It was on. Was it on Netflix? The quarterback thing with Mariota and Cousins and, yep. and Mahomes. Mahomes, yeah. Is Purdy gonna be part of next year's deal? Because the, he that that conversation that he had with Bosa in the locker room seemed like he was being filmed for that. This is something that
1: is a perfect Hollywood script, right? Mister Irrelevant makes the team in his rookie year as a third stringer starting quarterback goes down in Trey Lance backup quarterback goes down in Jimmy Garoppolo and here comes Mr. Irrelevant who up until the NFC championship game goes seven and zero, and then what you want as part of a movie storyline this is cinema dealing with some adversity Brock Purdy rookie Mr. Irrelevant went away from the Super Bowl messes up his elbow Has to undergo surgery to his UCL. He comes back way earlier than anybody thought. And then not only does he come back for the preseason, starts regular season week one, picks up where he left off and is an MVP candidate for most of the year. And now you're looking at a player who's four and one in the playoffs with the one loss coming in the title game when he lost, uh, got lost in the first quarter because of that injury and is now 17 and four as a starter in his first full year as a starter, the little Brock Purdy, Mr. Relevant, his top five, top 10 in every major statistical category to the point where he's not even just surprising all of us. He's surprising players like Nick Bosa who go up to him after they punch their ticket to the Super Bowl, and he's like, dude, did you believe that you could do this? This is incredible to me. And Brock Purdy's like, you know what? Cool, calm and collected, nice poise, confidence, swagger. Yeah, I've always believed in myself. I always thought that I could do it. It's something straight out of a movie and if he beats Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, my goodness, what a movie that is going to be at some point down the road.
0: Yeah, 17 and 4 is Purdy's regular season record, 4 and 1 in the playoffs. That 17 and 4 is really probably more like 18 and 4 cuz they were trailing against Miami. I
1: give him That's, credit for that win. Yeah, I really that, do.
0: Yeah, so that mean that would make him 18 and 4, 4 and 1 in the playoffs. Can you really can you really say that he lost that playoff game? No. I mean, he got knocked out six plays in. In some ways, uh, his legend is even greater than those numbers. No doubt. If you were there today, because we're going to cha- get a chance to talk to Purdy, if I if if I could channel uh, my inner uh, Chase Sr. Uh, and ask a, a Chase Sr. question to Purdy today, what would you want to ask him?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I always like asking the thought-provoking questions I hate at press conferences or media availabilities when somebody is like, talk about this, talk about that. I want to make somebody really think. I want to ask something that's inquisitive because I'm a very curious person. Going back to my Big J journalism days before this job when I was working for uh, a news station in Pennsylvania as a news reporter, I think with Brock Purdy, there are so many things that you could ask him, right? And there are so many topics that you could hit on. It would be a pretty fascinating hour long podcast. I think for him, I would ask him what he would want to tell somebody else. Like Brock, you go to Iowa state and you make Iowa state a power in the big 12. You were a program changer there where you elevated everybody else and you made Iowa state nationally relevant. And then you go to the San Francisco 49ers and you are clearly so much better than Jimmy Garoppolo, where you've put this argument to rest of what is a game manager and a game changer. You have become a game changer for San Francisco, whereas Jimmy Garoppolo was a game manager and you come to San Francisco With guys like Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, Trent Williams, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayu, Christian McCaffrey, Kyle Shanahan, and you put this team over the top. What is it about you as an individual that maximizes others and makes them better? Is it an aura? Is it a swagger? Is it a confidence? What allows you to be the program changer at Iowa State and then a game changer with the San Francisco 49ers where you're one win away from winning the Super Bowl?
0: So like basically how how do you elevate the teams that you're on?
1: Yes. What is it about you that elevates your teammates when you're not as physically gifted as a Patrick Mahomes, a Lamar Jackson, a Josh Allen. You're what pretty you? physically limited as compared to those other quarterbacks yet you're elevating people at Iowa State and with the San Francisco 49ers.
0: Yeah. And and not only that somehow some way in both spots, you've been able to walk into the room and elevate the quality of play, and win over the room. Yeah, and uh, is that all just dedication and hard work and putting in the hours? Um, yeah, that might be good. I maybe go in that direction. What did you think of Jed York's revelation that Shanahan basically told York after his rookie year uh, training camp that he was better than Garoppolo and better than
1: Lance? Yeah, I was I was listening to Colin Cowherd's opening today, and he mentioned that conversation very briefly. And Cowherd said, "This is what I really like about Kyle Shanahan. He's always trying to find ways to improve. He's always trying to find solutions. And for Kyle Shanahan, they move up to draft Trey Lance. They have Jimmy Garoppolo, who led them to the Super Bowl in 2019, and they draft Brock Purdy, Mister Relevant, final pick in the draft two years ago." And he's willing to go up to the owner after they paid Jimmy Garoppolo, after they paid the price of a couple of first round picks and that first round salary to Trey Lance. And he says, you know what? I got to be honest. I'm the head coach of this football team. My job is to really assess our roster and to gauge the talent level and to try to make our team the best that it can be. I'm telling you right now that Brock Purdy is really impressing me. Timing, accuracy, anticipation, processing, touch, moxie, poise, underrated athlete. Everybody wanted to tell me at Iowa State that he couldn't throw to the outside, that he was limited in throwing the ball downfield. Well, he had the number one deep ball completion rate this year, and he can throw out to the edge. And Kyle Shanahan probably saw all those things as a rookie and said, look, maybe not right now, but at some point, I think we have something really special. And then for Jed York, it's like, I love this from my head coach. Look, we're always going to be aggressive. We're always buying in. We've given contract extensions to George Kittle, Fred Warner, Debo Samuel, Nick Bosa in consecutive years. We paid Trent Williams even before that. Like this is a team that's all in all the time. And I have a head coach who's always trying to evolve, always trying to improve, and he has the interest of the team and winning always at the forefront of his mind. And I think Kyle Shanahan saw that. He wanted to be honest with the owner and say, look, I think we have something special. Maybe not now, at some point. And what a ride it's been over the last year and a half of games.
0: Man, we got something special on this Friday uh, co-stream, man. We got 530 people in the room uh, out doing KMBR by like 150 people right now. We'll finish with this one. Um, Give me one player on each team that you think You know, we really haven't talked about or we're not talking a lot about, but they could be major, major stars on Super Bowl Sunday. And I I have two that that I've thought of already. I could go first if you want a minute to think. Yeah, go ahead. You go first. I'm going to go in Kansas City. I'm going to go with Trent McDuffie, um, the nickelback. I just think that McDuffie, former first-round pick, playing at a really high level, uh, he's not the biggest guy, right? He's 5'10", about 190 pounds, but man, he's got great coverage ability. He seems like he's really heady. He takes some chances. He'll gamble. Um, I think McDuffie could be a factor in this game. And then on the other, on the Niners side, I'm going to go with Jair Brown. Okay. I think Jair Brown is a high productive interceptor. He's a hitter. I, I would not be surprised. I, I was joking earlier, but I'm only part joking that I might try to, you know, drop some money on Jair Brown as just a super long shot MVP candidate from the standpoint of I could see him having 10-plus tackles at the end of this game against a heavy run effort by the Chiefs through Pacheco. And then if the ball bounces right and the Niners have a lead, I could see Jair Brown winding up with two interceptions because he gets one in the first half and he gets one to ice the game uh, because he's a productive interceptor going back to his days at Penn State. I, I'm gonna, I may throw a couple ducats on Jair Brown to win the MVP. Those are my two. Who are your wild cards in this game?
1: I think Diamador Lenore has to be mentioned. He has just played so well from the slot, and the fact that he was able to seamlessly go from the outside to the slot without a hiccup is really impressive to me. It's also a credit to Steve Wilkes with his defensive background to put Diamador Lenore in a position to succeed. A segment that's coming out over the next couple of days from me on the Niners Report, five players who need to step up. So it's a little bit different from what you said, guys who could star. I like Jair Brown. I like DeAmador Lenore. Let me throw Jawan Jennings in there as well. Yeah. But the players to me that I have my eyes on, Chase Young for his effort level, Ambry Thomas, because his difference in play from the regular season to the playoffs has been atrocious. Overall pro football focus grade, in the regular season of 71 and a half, run defense grade of 70, coverage grade of 70 and a half overall in the playoffs 29.4, run defense 30.6, coverage grade 29.9. He needs to play better because Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, with another week of preparation, they're gonna turn on the tape. They know that's the weak link, and they're gonna target him even though Kansas City is a little bit down with their weaponry. So that's number two, Ambry Thomas. Number three is Jake Moody. Three of five in the playoffs so far. He needs to be better. And Larry, if you remember what happened in the preseason game against the Raiders in this same stadium, Allegiant, his kicks were so inaccurate and so awful that they almost went to the bay. And they are in Las Vegas, right? So he needs to be better. And if he misses a clutch kick again, the difference of three points when the margins are so slim between San Francisco and Kansas City, that could be the difference in the game. Uh, I mentioned Javon Kinlow a little bit earlier just because he's going to have to play better against the run, run defense grade in the regular season of 31.3. In the playoffs, though, it's up to 60.3. And to his credit, pass rush grade in the playoffs is up to 77.3. And then Colt McKibbitts, he just has to hold up. He can't get dominated and bullied in this game. He's given up eight pressures so far in two games in the playoffs. That could be the weak link, too, that Kansas City tries to expose, and that could be the reason why the Niners go down. Those five players have to step up for me.
0: Good stuff. Um, Dan Patrick says that he's underwhelmed by the matchup. I don't get that at all. You got one of the great stories in the NFL and Purdy quarterbacking one of its most iconic franchises that has all kinds of Guys who, you know, fans that travel well on the road. And then you got the dynasty. You got Mahomes and Reed and the Kansas City Chiefs and the rematch from four years ago. I, I think this is a phenomenal matchup in Vegas. Now I'm biased. I'm a niner guy and uh I like Mahomes. So you know what? I'm I'm all about this one. But what do you think? Do you think the nation would have been more intrigued by Ravens Lions? I think the ratings would have been down.
1: You have a small market in Baltimore with the superstar in Lamar Jackson, and then you have this feel-good story about Detroit, which I thought would have been the classic Cinderella story. In the NCAA tournament, you're always rooting for the upset, right? But you never want that underdog to make it to the Final Four or the National Championship game. Same can be said in the college football playoff, like TCU last year beating Michigan, because that Cinderella story is fun. But then when they go up against the elite team, it ends up being a blowout. And Detroit earlier this year got dominated by the Baltimore Ravens. So when you look at this matchup, you have Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes looking for back-to-back rings. They're third together. They're in the Super Bowl for the fourth time in five years. You have the dynasty effect and kind of the remake potentially of what Tom Brady and Bill Belichick had going on with the New England Patriots. They've kind of been the villain, especially with the whole Taylor Swift thing as well, which you can look at as people don't like Taylor Swift or they love him, and she's become America's icon and America's superstar, and now the Chiefs are America's team or villain, depending on how you look at it. And then you look at this Niners team, Mr. Irrelevant looking to unseat Patrick Mahomes and win a Super Bowl. What a story that would be and I believe that Brock Purdy would be the youngest quarterback ever to win a Super Bowl. You're looking at Kyle Shanahan who's trying to get over the 28-3 loss as a coordinator with the Falcons the 10-point lead against the Chiefs in Super Bowl 54 and the 10-point lead against the Rams in the 2021 NFC Championship game. He's been able to exercise his demons come back after being 0-30 when down 5-plus points in the fourth quarter against Green Bay. They Back from 17 against Detroit, and then you just look at the overall talent of this Niners team three straight NFC title games, four in the last five, two Super Bowl appearances since 2019. And with Cam Newton calling Brock Purdy the 10th best player on this roster, I ranked my top 10. And it's a very difficult exercise to do because of how talented this team is and the marquee superstars that are recognized on this squad on a national level. So, my top 10, I went with Trent Williams. Fred Warner, Christian McCaffrey, Nick Bosa, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, Brock Purdy at 8, Charverius Ward at number 9, Kyle check at 10. You could throw Eric Armstead in there, Diamador Lenore, and Dre Greenlaw. But the point here being Mahomes, Reed, Kelsey, Dynasty, Niners team, NFC Dynasty looking to win. There are six Lombardi trophy, which would tie them for the most all time with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the New England Patriots. And if they can get over the mountaintop with Mr. Irrelevant, it's a great story. So I couldn't disagree with Dan Patrick anymore.
0: Yeah, no, I seriously, I think he 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 had that one pegged wrong. Three quick supers. Moon Man says, this chase is way better than the chase that we have. Appreciate there it, man. <laughs> well, he, this chase goes 100% at all times. Yes. Um, Dale says, not just lack of pressure, but lack of good tackles. Definitely. And Mike D looking for uh, a sign from above. He says, Super Bowl 58, five plus eight equals 13. Which I equals like Brock Purdy. So he's thinking good thoughts. Hey, Chase, we'll we'll catch you in Vegas, hopefully. Um, yeah. I'll I'll buy you a drink. Um, we'll talk Niners. Thanks for coming on. What do you got planned the rest of the day on chat?
1: Yeah, so I'm gonna I released a little video earlier about how some of this big Chiefs injury news could impact Super Bowl 58, Joe Tooney, Charles and Menehute. Those are marquee players on this Kansas City team who are banged up. And it comes at positions that San Francisco can kind of exploit. You don't like to see injuries, of course, but injuries are a part of the game. And that could help favor San Francisco. I have those five players that need to step up in order for the Niners to win. And then next week from Super Bowl Radio Row, I'm going to be doing shows Monday through Friday. We're going to have coaches on the show players on the show with all the availability i think we're going to go to three media sessions with the niners and then i'm looking to link up with other content creators and other people who talk about the team so i want to have you on the show as we've been doing a lot of home and homes reached out to grant cone going to talk with brad from sf niners reached out to akash guy uh guy hopefully he's going to be able to come on the show as well he's been very complimentary the Haberman and Middle Call podcast has been awesome. So I want to have him on as well. So just looking to connect with a lot of people on the 49ers report. The content's going to be endless. Do a couple of live shows from Radio Row. It's going to be awesome.
0: Safe travels, brother. Always good to talk to you on a Friday. It's been a great thing all year. Have a great day. We'll see you in Vegas. You as well. See ya. Peace. Yeah.
1: Never a man. Careful. You won't get exactly